Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament passage of 2 Samuel. The Old Testament passage of 2 Samuel in chapter number 15. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 15. We are now going to be talking about one of the most important events within the reign of David's kingdomship. That we understand that 2 Samuel lists the consequences of action, that it shows that just one little sin can have overwhelming consequences, and that without a doubt, that sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay, and take you a lot further than you ever wanted to go. That it started off with one night in sin, that David sinned with Bathsheba, that led to a cover-up, and when the cover-up didn't work, it led to the death of Uriah the Hittite. After the baby was born, Nathan the prophet was sent by God to confront David for the purpose of restoring him, and that did prompt David to get right with God, and we have that recorded in David's prayer in Psalm 51. However, along with this came a fourfold judgment that was landed upon David's house. And that the Bible says that part of it, that the sword would not leave David's household. And true enough. And we've watched as David's child with Bathsheba, the first one, had passed away. We've saw the results of the rape of Tamar by Amnon that led to the death of Amnon. And now we could see another result that has been brewing and working. That we know that after Amnon did his deed that David did nothing for it for years. After that, Absalom killed Amnon and David nothing for years. Afterwards, Amnon was brought back to the kingdom and nothing was done for years. So this is something that's been steaming. If you could calculate in your Bible, let's just do an approximation for 10 years now. 10 years this is boiling, 10 years this has been working, and it is finally going to erupt in something that is called Absalom's Rebellion. And during Absalom's Rebellion, we're going to see in the next several messages, several character studies. And the reason is, is that in the worst times in life, that's when people's character is really going to be revealed. Those who choose to follow the king, those are going to be revealed. And those that hate the king, those are going to be revealed. And we're going to see a series of character studies uh, starting Sunday morning in the next message. But now we're going to see the eruption and how did Absalom's rebellion come to play. If you don't mind, we could see this recorded in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter 15. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter 15 And notice with me in verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man had a controversy came to the king for judgment, 
Then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. And Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and that every man (coughs) which hath suit or cause may come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, that he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the kingdom for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow while I abode at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom spent spies throughout through all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And with Absalom went two hundred men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahipothel, the Gileonite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, while he was offering sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all of his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Let make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth, and all his household after him. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 15? 2 Samuel chapter 15, and notice with me in verse 6. 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 6. Notice the phrase, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And with the Lord's help, we're going to see the beginning part of Absalom's rebellion and how we did it, what's leading up to this, with this key phrase here, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you now, we're just asking that you would give us great wisdom and great understanding as we open up the Bible, that you'd help us to see and be warned by this text that we could learn from Absalom's blueprint and that we could be on the lookout for ourselves, for anyone with that same objective to steal the hearts of your people. We're asking again as we cover this historical event that we could see this horrible thing. 
And that we would also be warned about the consequences of sin. That if David would have just knew that this was a possible result, he would have stayed away from that sin so much. Fill me with your precious spirit, Lord, and help guide my words, guide my thoughts. Help me to say exactly what you desire me to say and just refrain from veering off course or anywhere that I should not tread. I'm asking that you would make this clear, let it be easily understood, and that because of this message, you would protect this church in a special way. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Absalom here is what the Bible would refer to as a grievous wolf. A grievous wolf is one that leaves a trail of sorrow and heartbreak after them. And what Absalom does in this chapter is a blueprint of what any biblical wolf would try to do to destroy a church. Remember that a church is not destroyed from the attacks without. A church is destroyed by the attacks within. And what occurs in these 16 verses here is a blueprint. It is exactly what wolves will try to do to make everything fall apart. And so the study of this chapter is very key in helping protect a church and guard a church and trying to make sure that the church is protected to, to be aware of the idea of grievous wolves. If you don't mind, let's walk through here and let's see some of these things. The very first thing I'd like to show you is that Absalom won the hearts of the people. Absalom won the hearts of the people. Now notice in verse number one. Now this may be something that's easily overread, but this has so much significance. Notice with me in chapter 15 in verse one. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now this is so key because if you go back to the Levitical law, you could see that one of the things that God forbade a king to have was chariots and horses. It was something that God had warned them, do not have, do not have, do not have. You say, why? I don't know why. I just know that God said don't. He said, once you do this, you're going <laughs> to reach a different level. Now, Absalom is making himself look good. Because I want you to think in your mind, here is handsome Absalom, which we had talked about last time. Not a single blemish on him, the Bible says, from the sole of his feet to the top of his head. He also had the long flowing hair. So much they had to pull it. Every year they would weigh how much his hair weighed. And so he's in a chariot with horses riding the wind blowing in his hair. He's riding in front of everyone. And you know what King David was riding? A donkey. So here's King David in his humility riding a donkey while Absalom speeding around with his chariot of horses. And not only a chariot of horses, he had 50 men who would lead the procession that would go in and announce, Absalom the prince has arrived. Everyone stop what you're doing. Look, Absalom has arrived. He's making sure that everyone notices him. And 
he is making himself look good. And in comparison, if you look at Absalom with the chariot and the hair and the men. And then here's King David riding on a donkey wherever he goes. Which one looks more prestigious? Which one looks more royal? Well, again, he's trying to make himself look good and biblical authority look less good in comparison. He's also working at this. Notice with me in verse 2. And Absalom rose up early. He was rebellious. He's working at this rebellion so much that he woke up early in the morning and he rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. Now, in any ancient city, the gate of the city is where all commerce took place. It's where the marketplace took place. It's where everyone gathered to fellowship. This is where the old men would debate and talk about things. This is where the judgment seat of all the town uh, matters was taken care of. So Absalom would wake up early in the morning and make sure he was the first one there. So that way he could greet everyone that came in. Make sure that he was working his rebellion. <coughs> And whenever someone came in the city, Absalom would intercept them. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 2 again. And Absalom rose up early and stood by the way of the gate. And it was so when any man had a controversy to the king for judgment, that Absalom would call to him and say, Of what city art thou? And he would say, Thy servant is one of the tri tribes of Israel. And Absalom would say unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there's no man deputed of the king to hear thee. He said, well, that sounds like an important matter, but the king didn't place a deputy in, a, in place to handle matters like this. And then he would go on and say this. Verse number four, and Absalom said, moreover, oh, that I were made a judge in the land, that every man that had suit or cause may come to me, and I would do him justice. Oh, if someone would just make me the judge, oh, I would make right rulings. I would make sure that people got justice. Oh, if they would just pick me. Now, that sounds good and all. I mean, that sounds really good. But if we could take a pause. If he went up to his dad and said, Dad, can you make me a judge? David said, sure, you can have a position. Not a problem. I'll make you. That will give you that. But the problem is that would require Absalom to work. And it would require him to have authority over him because the king would be his boss. It's much easier for them, the wolf to say, oh, if I was in charge, I would take care of all of this than a wolf to actually do the work themselves. Whenever someone's not a servant within the church, that's dangerous grounds, especially when they want to correct and solve all the problems, but they're not willing to work. That's always a hallmark of a wolf. But Absalom's there. Oh, if someone would just make me judge. So we could see this preparatory here. But what he is doing is for this main purpose is he wants to win the hearts. So how is it that he, <coughs> to gain the power that he wanted, he had to instill himself into the hearts of people. So what did he do to get himself? How did he place himself in the hearts of the people? How did he steal the hearts of the people? How did he get where the hearts were in his hand? Well, notice these steps. Verse 3. To instill himself in the hearts of the people. Notice this. And Absalom said unto them. Now remember, the people had come in. 
And he said, where are you from? Oh, you're an Israelite. Oh, let me hear. And he would listen to the matter, verse 3. And Absalom said unto him, see thy matters are good and right. To instill himself in the people, what he did is he only heard one side of the disagreement. And then he made a judgment. He agreed with that person. Oh, I can understand. That's an important problem. You know what? You're right in thinking this away. And he agreed with them. He's gaining their trust by saying, oh man, you're right. Oh, if I was in charge, I would make sure that, that, you're, that things would be settled on your side. You know, it is a poor judge who will listen to one side of the argument and not listen to any others. Be careful. One of the wolves that love to do is they love to hear complaints about pastor, but not go to pastor and get his side of the story. There are two sides to every story. And by the way, it's that way for anything. Biblical authority. You know, we live in a rebellious age. Mom, the teacher hates me. That teacher, I can't believe she would do that. But you didn't talk to the teacher about it. You took one side of the argument and did not investigate the matter. And you decided without hearing all the facts. That's the problem with any kind of gossip, by the way, is you're only hearing one side. And then you start agreeing with that person without hearing everything. There's always two sides of the story. And oftentimes people leave things out in order to get you to agree with them. But that's what Absalom was doing on purpose. Oh, that is an important matter. You are right in thinking this way. If I was in charge, I would make sure that you were right. And the people say, hey, I want, of course I want to vote for someone. I want to agree. So I want to align with someone who agrees with me and says how great I am and that I'm right in thinking this way. And so the first thing he did to instill himself is that he began to, <coughs> to <coughs> agree with them in the disagreements. Notice what else he goes. Verse number two again. And Absalom rose up early and stood in the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man had controversy to the king of judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. What he did is he was very inquisitive and prying and desired to be acquainted with everyone's case. I want to know everyone's business. Oh, I want to hear your problems. I want to hear your problems. I want to hear your problems. Oh, yeah, I want to hear you. And he made itself where he was the hub. He made himself where he knew everyone's business. You don't need to know everyone's business. But he wanted to know what so-and-so was doing and what so-and-so struggling and what so-and-so is here. And he made it so he had to know everything about everyone's business. Oh, Absalom cares for me. He doesn't care for you. He's using you. But he wants to have every, know everything that's going on with everybody's business. But then notice this trick in verse 5. And it was so that when any, when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance. Remember, he is the crown prince. And so normally someone would bow to the crown prince. They would show him respect. And as they would bow down, notice what he did to them. He put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. So whenever someone would bow down and show him respect, he would say, no, 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 no. And he would pick them up and hug them and give them a kiss and say, no, no, no. We're equal. We're brothers. We're the same. 
You know Absalom didn't think they were the same at all. But he's doing this to manipulate them to gain their hearts. To work with them. And so that was just a small little trick. As they were giving <laughs> a proper respect. Pick them up. Hug them. Oh, we're the same. Kiss them. And work with them, gaining their heart. You know, wolves do the same thing. Someone is going to run this church. Either the person that God has appointed or someone that God did not appoint. And so what happens is that a wolf will come in and they'll eventually come in to pastor and say, well, you know, people have been coming to me. People shouldn't be coming to you. People should not be going to other people about problems in the church. Remember, be careful. If people are coming to you in innocence, they will, anyone will throw trash into any open container. There's a proper way of doing that. <laughs> hey, that's an important concern. Let's go talk to pastor now. Don't receive that. Let, let, don't, <laughs> if, if you can't solve the problem, it's now gossip. If you're receiving it and you can't do anything about it. Go deal with it. Well, I'm concerned because there's some problems in the church, pastor. And we need to address it. It's not your business, not your part. If there are legitimate things for you that you need to take care of, then it is right and good for you to go to pastor and say, Pastor, I'm, I'm concerned that I, I heard you say something. I didn't know what that meant. That, that's fine. That's good. But you carrying everybody else's problems, that's something different. That person needs to come and you need to work with them to bring that person to come. Because people are allowed to have issues. And there may be a little legitimate thing where if someone says, I don't know how to approach pastor. Well, let me help you. And let's go talk to them together. Hey, pastor, someone's got a question. And I think they got a good question. There are ways of handling it, but you should not be the one to be receiving. And that's what a wolf loves to do. Is they love to get everyone to come to them. Oh they just feel comfortable talking to me. That's exactly what Absalom was doing to win their hearts. To capture their hearts. Exactly what Absalom was doing. So <laughs> what comes now? Not only did Absalom win the hearts of the people. But we see a second thing here. That Absalom assembled a conspiracy. Absalom assembled a conspiracy. Notice if you don't mind in verse 7. And it came to pass after 40 years. Now don't let the 40 years fool you. This has uh, a lot of people that have uh, fooled or tricked people up in timing. David only ruled for 40 years. So this isn't talking about the end of his reign. This is actually dated from the time where David was first anointed by Samuel in the reign of Saul. So 40 years have passed since David was a 17-year-old boy when Samuel came in the house and it looked at all the brothers and said, not you, is there any other brother? Yeah, there's one out in the field, but we didn't think he would be him. 40 years from that time, Absalom put his uh, plan into motion. So what's going on? Verse 7. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow while I abode at Geshur, Syria, said, if the Lord bring me again to Jerusalem, that I will serve the Lord. So what he does is he lies to dad. And this is how he does this. Dad, I need to go to Hebron and 
The reason why I need to go to Hebron, he, he knew that if he left Jerusalem and went to Hebron, that dad was going to ask about it. So let's get a good cover story. When I was in exile, I told God that if he ever brought me back, I was going to serve him. So dad, I think it's about time that I pay this vow. You know, <coughs> David was fooled by this. You want to know why David was fooled? Because parents want to see the good things in their kids. A desperate parent is easily fooled. They're looking, oh look, maybe, maybe I think God's starting to work on my son. Oh, look. And I, we appreciate there's always hope. But again, there's a blindness that could come to it. David, David was willing to do anything. Oh, Absalom, you're going to serve the Lord finally? Yes. Absalom had no intention to serve the Lord. And we'll prove that in just a second. But this is how he fooled David. David wanted so much for Absalom to be right. That if any hope, any olive branch, anything that may mean that maybe perhaps Absalom's getting right. He's getting excited over. But this instead is going to be his undoing. Verse number 9. And the king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But... Absalom sent spies through all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. So here's part of his plan, that as <laughs> Absalom had already prepared and had, waited, had people waiting, you could almost imagine he walks out of David's chamber and he comes and says, gather the men. He goes and meets the gathering and says, listen here, what I want you to do is I want you, when you hear the trumpet, I want you to begin and tell everyone in each village that Absalom reigns in Hebron. And he hired all these people to go and to all the cities and all the villages. And so that way at the right time, everyone would announce who's now in charge. The biblical authority is no longer in charge. Someone else is. And let's make it clear. Let's make it understood. Notice as it goes on. In verse number 11, and, and with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called. And they went in their simplicity and knew not anything. Here Absalom called 200 men that didn't know what was going on. They didn't know that Absalom had a, had a plan. And wouldn't you know that every time that a wolf attacks, there are innocent people that get caught up. And they end up being forced taking a side. And oftentimes they take a wrong side and they're caught. They're the casualties of this whole thing. That they're the ones that get hurt. They're the ones that no longer can trust church and no longer trust uh, the pastor or no longer trust Christians. Or no, They're the ones that are hurt. And they're the ones that are no longer going to be in church anymore. They did it in simplicity. But Absalom, he had plans. He got 200 people to come. But he also had other conspirators that had come. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 12. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel. Now, this is going to be a big deal. And we're going to have a whole sermon on him in about three weeks on Ahithophel. Ahithophel is the big catch. Ahithophel is the one who's actually been instructing Absalom how to do all of this. Ahithophel has his own agenda, but Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gittonite, David's counselor. So the person that David had trusted the most is the one that had the knife that stuck in the deepest. 
And Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, even Gelo, while he was offering sacrifices, and the conspiracy was strong. What's a conspiracy? It is where a group of people have put a plan into motion and have agreed together. There is a conspiracy. And there is a bunch of people that have worked on there. Absalom has already done the legwork. And he is waiting for this one time. But he's had people in place to send him here, to send him here. You guys are going to be here. You guys are going to take care of this. He's already been working on all of this for the purpose of getting his way. And there are people that are going to get hurt in the midst of this. Absalom has started his rebellion. Which brings us to a third thing here. That Absalom's goal was to get rid of biblical authority. Absalom's goal was to get rid of authority. Verse number 13. And there came a messenger to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said to all of his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not escape from Absalom, to make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly, and bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. As soon as this happened, David immediately knew that he was, he was done. There's nothing he could do to fight against this. You know, this shows it's typical of a wolf, by the way. A wolf will be quiet and look well-behaved until he gets enough people on his side and then he'll attack. A wolf won't go single file, but they'll have enough people on their side. There's something about the human condition. You don't have to be a wolf to be get stuck in this, but we have the idea that we got the numbers on our side. We're right. You may be talking with someone else and you say, oh yeah, well so-and-so agrees with me and so-and-so agrees with me and so-and-so agrees with me with the idea that if you have more people on your side, you must be right. That's just something about human nature. But that's now how it works. But that's how wolves, like, they want as many people and when they have enough that they feel comfortable, then they'll confront, then they'll attack. And the whole goal was to get rid of biblical authority. One that was not placed by God, something that they placed themselves. Biologists who study uh, wolves say that you see a wolf in the wild and you see the alpha, that you don't make eye contact with him. Because the eye contact, they, the wolves will take it a challenge to their authority. However, in a church type setting, that's exactly what needs to happen. You have to look at them right in the eyeballs and look at them and say, listen here, <laughs> you are not in charge. The one that God placed is in charge. And not blink back on convictions or draw back. Now this, this is going to be a traumatic event in the life of David and the life of the kingdom. Many people are going to lose their lives and eventually Absalom's going to lose their life. Many people are going to rear up. Many people are going to get hurt. Many people are going to show their colors. But many people are going to be damaged in this attack. So as for us, as we look at this biblical account and see this blueprint of wolves, how do we protect ourselves? How do we keep it so nothing like that happens here? Well, there are some basic things that, first of all, <laughs> understanding the best defense against wolves is a good sheepdog. 
And so what, is it, what do we do to prevent against wolves as good sheepdogs? Well, first of all, stand with your pastor and support him. Now remember, submission is not silence. It's saying the right thing at the right time, at the right place, with the right spirit. It's saying the right thing at the right time, the right place, and the right spirit. Pastor's not infallible. He's not <laughs> the greatest person in all the world. He's not the one. He's able to mess up. One thing about public speaking is that the more words you use, the more words that you have the opportunity to mess up on. There are some times that I may not say things clearly. I may mess up. I may mispronounce. I may misspeak. I may say something that maybe I'm not thinking of. <laughs> That's not a chance to do a riot. That's something that you pull aside the right spirit. Pastor, you said something that kind of confused me. Can you clarify that? Absolutely. And if I'm wrong, I'd be like, glad to fix it. But submission's not silence. It's saying the right thing in the right place at the right time. But if someone starts talking about your pastor, stop them. If, they're not, <laughs> if it's not uh, <laughs> a good thing, stop them. Second of all, don't be an open container. If someone starts complaining or questioning about the church or the pastor or about someone in the church or anything like that, bring the person into it. Don't be an open container where they could just keep throwing trash into it, but take care of it. If someone has another problem with another church member, hey, have you heard what so-and-so was doing? Don't accept gossip, but say, hey, you know what? That's a good person. Let, go talk to them. Get that solved. Get that fixed. Don't let that go on. Take care of that right then and there. You know, to help protect against wolves attack, there's another thing that very practical to do is protect the pastor's wife. If you don't love the man's family, you don't love the man. Protect the pastor's wife. Guard her. You know, part of being a pastor's wife is the most awkward position. It's because you can't defend. You can't say anything. You got to take it. Because you're not the one with the authority to change anything or to make the ruling. Protect her. Guard her. And then the idea here is to protect from wolves is the goal is to make the place where wolves are feel unwelcome. They need to know that wolves can't hunt here. They can't fright, find prey. They can't find a layup. You can't keep wolves around as a pet. It is amazing how many, how many states in, the, in America that have a ban against wolves or half wolves. Because it's been shown that wolves are wild. It doesn't take just a moment for them to snap. And they will snap at their owners and destruct. They are wild creatures. So make it a place where wolves don't feel comfortable. By the way, what are the wolves looking for? Carnality. They like meat. They're meat eaters. So if you don't have anything of flesh in a church, then they don't feel comfortable. If they have somewhere where they can't lay up, then they won't feel comfortable. Let them know that they can't hunt. That, they can't, that there's somewhere else where they can go. <coughs> we, don't, we need to protect it from wolves and make this a place where they don't even feel comfortable. Now, those are practical things, but why do we have to speak about those? Those aren't fun things because the things that happen with Absalom happen all over all the time. And because God puts an emphasis on it, we need to place an emphasis on it. We need to protect ourselves. We want to keep it so wolves aren't in here. Now, as far as I could tell, we don't have any wolves currently. and We want to keep it that way. 
We want to keep it so that way we could feel like we could have a sanctuary and we could serve the Lord and we're not worried about things exploding. We want to keep going forward. And there are practical things we need to watch out for. And sometimes people are out of innocence. They don't know who to go and so they'll just start complaining to you. Stop it. Don't listen to it. Bring it to the right authority. Those are just practical things. Just like we get in the habit of doing everything else, you get in the habit of not accepting gossip. It's easy just to sit there and listen to it, but you're accepting it then. Take care of that right then and there. That helps protect a church and help protect the people of the church because it's not just a pastor that will get hurt. It wasn't just David that got hurt. There were so many other people that were damaged because of a wolf attack. And again, studying the preparation for Absalom's rebellion is a blueprint of how wolves work even now and that we don't need to be ignorant of Satan's devices. Protect ourselves. So with this, are you watching out? Are you looking out? Are you doing your part on not gossiping, on not receiving uh, the trash? But have you gotten the habit of taking care of things? Again, there's so much to that is cleared up by clearing up misunderstandings and not letting them fester. If there's something that people have a question with, they're allowed to have a question. Let's fix it. Let's try to take care of it while it's still small rather than let it fester and build and let someone use as an occasion to blow things up. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.